Welcome to Kissing in a Tree with your host, Kelly Nichols. Romance, intimacy, and self-love are easier when we talk about them, and even more so with someone to lead the way. Here is your host, Kelly. Hi, friend, and welcome to another episode of Kissing in a Tree. I'm Kelly Nichols, and today we're going to explore two important topics, how disabilities impact sex and intimacy and the state of modern marriage and advice for people looking to enter or stay in healthy marriages. This topic is especially important to me because I have a disability. A year ago, I was diagnosed with a chronic migraine disorder and I have stints of debilitating pain each day that affect what I can and can't do. I'm not sharing this with you to garner sympathy, but because I want you to know that anyone who wants a healthy sex life can have one. Conversations like these are so important, especially because they work to normalize disabled people, not only wanting sex, but having sex. In today's episode, we're also going to discuss marriage and what a healthy and happy marriage looks like. We have the perfect guest on to discuss both of these issues. Jasmine Moore is a licensed marriage and family therapist whose clinical expertise combined with her personal experience of living with a disability makes her a great person to discuss both of these subjects. I hope today's discussion is helpful for you. We've got a lot to cover, so we're just going to dive in. Jasmine, thank you so much for being on the show. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me, Kelly. I'm really excited to be here. Of course. I really appreciate you taking the time. And I know that the conversation we're going to have today is going to be so important. So I just want to get started. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. I've been ready. I've been ready. (laughs) (laughs) So first, I just want to get to know you a little bit better. What motivated you to enter into the mental health field and marriage and therapy? I'm sorry, marriage and family therapy in particular? Yeah, um, well, it wasn't always this way. Uh, I initially started as a mass communications major, wanted to do like talk radio and broadcast journalism, right? Uh, Bypass broadcast, got into public relations and then realized, oh, you know, this isn't for me, right? So did some soul searching and literally found the idea of becoming a therapy in one of those uh, like personality quiz uh, type of situations. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So after that, I hit the ground running. Uh, I literally applied for grad school and the rest is history. So here I am, what, seven years later, six years later? And wow. I am a marriage and family therapist. Yes. Wow. That is such an interesting journey, especially because yeah. you didn't come here directly. You know, you had a roundabout way of getting to where you are now. Thank you no. for sharing that. Yeah. I appreciated welcome. learning that. Um, as we start to talk about disability a little bit more, are you comfortable sharing the nature of your disability? Oh, yeah. I, uh, people stop me all the time uh, to, to ask, you know, either what happened or, you know, some people who just blatantly ask, what, what's wrong with you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just stop in the moment and, and just share. So uh, for, the, for the sake of today's uh, podcast, I have cerebral palsy. Um, and for a long time, I didn't know what cerebral palsy even was, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> I recently just stopped to ask one of my main providers, like, what, what is it, right? Uh, why do I walk this way? So with my cerebral palsy, I walk with a forearm crunch on my left side um, and I walk down in a crouch and I have what they call a scissor gait. So the way that I walk looks differently. So I don't stand straight up like an able-bodied person. And so my provider literally just told me that cerebral palsy is of course a brain injury uh, that happens at birth, 
But essentially, for a watered-down explanation for today, my brain doesn't tell my body to walk upright. It tells it to walk in the way that it, it functions right now. So um, that causes me a lot of tight muscles, tight hip flexors. Um, uh, but that's about it for me. Some people with this uh, cerebral palsy uh, experience pain. Um, some people with cerebral palsy experience uh, cognitive delays. So everybody is different. So when people see me and I tell them, oh, hey, I have cerebral palsy, they're like, what? <laughs> so it's a little bit different. So uh, I, I just take it one one question at a time when people are curious. So I do want to circle back to that because I think it's interesting to point out that obviously, you know, disability is a spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. So I have a migraine disability, which means you can't see it. Anybody who looks at me, they, I don't have people coming and asking me about my disability, right? right. You live a different experience than I do with your disability. Mm -hmm. So when people come up and they approach you, is that off-putting to you? Does it make you feel self-conscious? How do, how do those conversations typically go, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, yeah. Um, when I was younger, I'm, I, I'll disclose and say I'm in my early 30s. Uh, when I was younger, it really used to get under my skin. Uh, um, but as the older I've gotten, I, I recognize that people are really just curious. Um, and honestly, a lot of people don't know how to ask. So they they go with the question of what happened, right? As if you got, uh, you know, something just happened yesterday, mm -hmm. right? Or what's wrong? Um, and sometimes that question, honestly, it still gets under my skin. Yeah. I, I take it from a, a place of grace and compassion that they really don't know and don't understand. So I, I just try to meet them where they are and just say, you know, I just walk differently. Because if I said I had cerebral palsy, they're like, what? What is that? So <laughs> to save that confusion, I just say I walk differently. I was born this way or um, this is how God made me. Right. So um, yeah. and they and they they carry on after that. <laughs> yeah. I imagine hearing the, the question of what's wrong with you has to be a lot, especially if you're getting that often. Yeah. And I think it's important to just stress and highlight on this platform that don't walk up to someone and ask what's wrong with them. <laughs> Definitely. That, you know, it's not, it's, it's not the best conversation starter. No, especially if you don't know anyone. How about you start off minding your own business? <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate you sharing that. I know that that yeah. um, is vulnerable, but I do think it's important to hear someone on the other side of that um, interaction say like, this doesn't always feel great. Maybe think about the way that you approach someone. Yeah. I also want to talk to you a bit about um, navigating your sexual intimacy with a disability. It seems intuitive that challenges to sex could differ wildly depending upon the nature of a person's disability. What are some obstacles to intimacy that people might not be aware of? Yeah, um, you know, one of the big ones that comes up for me is I actually work for um, uh, a pain clinic at a major hospital in the DFW area. And one of the things that I've realized over time is that people who have to use either assistive devices or have any kind of medical equipment that's necessary for them to just maintain their quality of life is really, really important. So when they're having to navigate the the changes to their, their state of being and their, their able-bodiedness, if you want to use that word, uh, it is very uncomfortable. It is very displeasing to them. Uh, and it's really, I don't even know if displeasing is the right word. I, I feel like they are very upset about it, right? In the limitations mm -hmm. of, I have this, for instance, ostomy bag, and now 
I don't want that to be around me, right? Um, and that's a really big one about the medical devices and equipment. Another uh, limitation I see is just with physical capability, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Somebody with lower back pain may not be able to uh, uh, get in certain positions anymore or may not be able to lie down very well or or just get uncomfortable being in one 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 position for too long. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have to be very strategic about what am I going to do? How long can I be this way? Um, and if I even want to. Right. I think about chronic pain in a general yes. sense of just this is uncomfortable. I don't even like being in this body right now because I'm so uncomfortable and can we just not, right? Yeah. So uh, those are the three that really stick out to me. Yeah. Uh, chronic pain affects, uh, I want to say about 50% of the U.S. population the last time I looked at the CDC. I people. So chronic pain is real. Well, I had no idea that the rate was that high, especially yeah. someone who lives with chronic pain, right? It is very... Um, isolating. It's a very isolating Mm -hmm. experience. It makes you feel very alone. So Mm -hmm. especially because pain isn't something that you can see, right? So the fact that 50% of the U.S. population is struggling with that is mind-blowing to me. It's sad, but also it is a reminder to me, and I hope you listening at home, that if you are one of those 50%, you are not alone. Um, You also mentioned something about like someone who is in pain, like, do they even want to engage in that sexual encounter? And I think that that is so important, especially since I became disabled. You know, it's only been a little over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my husband and I obviously talk a lot about sex because I am a sex coach, right? Mm-hmm. But we have also had to have more conversations about sex and sex with disability, with my disability, because it's do I want to spend this energy on this activity, right? Exactly. Exactly. Like so much of sex is an an active event, right? Yes, yes. You have to be moving, right? <laughs> yes. So, Not it, but... but most of the time, right? Especially when we think about sex. And so <laughs> it's, do I want to spend the energy doing that activity right yes. now? Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't think about when they think about sex with disabilities. I think right. people think that whenever you become disabled or if you are born disabled, that that just separates you from your sexual Mm -hmm. desire. And that is so not true. So um, when talking about things like that, what are some other misconceptions around sex and disability that you feel like are prominent? Yeah, um, a lot of misconceptions, I think, too, with sex and disability is that because you are disabled, whether it's visible or not, well, more so when you're when it's a visible disability that you don't have the desire to do it, right? There's yes. this conception that, oh, this person doesn't even know what they're doing, right? Or they couldn't know how to to start in the in, in the first place, right? Yeah. Um, and I have my own personal experiences with that that's just like, ooh, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it gets under my skin a little bit because the the assumption or the the um, the belief that because somebody is disabled that they don't have the desire they, that they don't have the experience or um, um, is really of course judgmental you know yes. um, and it's and it's and it's sad to consider um, somebody's sexual experience based on uh, mobile functioning or yeah. um, um 
preconceived uh, notion that you know everybody's you know lived experiences it just really blows my mind Kelly honestly when I when I yeah I totally get that I think that um so many people like I said think that disabled people just aren't sexual beings and it's really important to highlight the fact that disabled bodies still want to have sex and still are having sex (laughs) (laughs) a lot of things I think that so many people just assume, especially if it's a visible disability, Mm -hmm. that like these people just don't have a sexual relationship. Even people who are married, who get married when they are disabled. I think the assumption of the average population is, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, if especially if they marry an an able-bodied person, oh, that poor spouse, they've given up a lot. Yeah. That is not true. Disabled people are having healthy active sex lives. Um, So I know that especially like we've said, your disability is much more visible than mine. How have these misconceptions affected you and your approach to intimacy in your life? Yeah. Um, This started out really, (laughs) I I remember in sixth grade, Kelly, uh, I had a crush on a boy, of course, (laughs) always the bad boy who always got in trouble, you know, whatever. Uh, and I've always been very just forthcoming about my feelings and my emotions. So what do I decide to do, right? I told him. Uh, mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, uh, he shot me down faster than I, I can remember even just saying, I like you, right? And then he, I remember there specifically he told me, you probably wouldn't even know how to do it anyway, right? And this was sixth grade. Uh, You're kidding. I am not. I remember that clear as day. My little 12-year-old feelings were hurt. Oh, I can't, confused. can't imagine. Yeah. Especially because what sixth grader does know how to do it, right? Let's let's start there. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, thinking about it developmentally, you're 12 years old, you have feelings for somebody, they already reject you, but then make an assumption about just you know, your interest in maybe wanting to explore your sexuality, right? I think it's healthy Mm -hmm. for, you know, people to, you know, figure out what they like or what they don't like. And a lot of, you know, sexual experimentation happens around that age, Mm -hmm. even with kissing and just holding hands and things like that. Uh, So that experience really taught me to just Again, be compassionate, um, but then also know that that person probably wasn't for me, but going forward, it's taught me to just be really curious about just continuing to be very open with who I am. Um, But when it comes to interacting with the partner, um, just really getting to know them and, and asking them questions about, have you ever been with someone who has a disability? If not, what does it look like for you and me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just really being forthcoming that if you're not okay with this, you can you can leave me where, where I am, right? And I, mm-hmm. I'm just fine. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And when you've had those conversations with your partners or your potential partners, have you gotten any answers that have surprised you or, or kind of taken you back a bit when mm-hmm. having those conversations? Yeah, uh, I remember one partner in particular, he he shared with me that no, he hadn't, but so what, right? And that really just shocked me, right? Because here I am, 
you you see me, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, your self-esteem is hit over time, but that doesn't stop you from trying anyway. But somebody telling you so what, that is just uh, such a rewarding experience, mm-hmm. right? That somebody can actually take the time and be like, who cares what other people think? I, I like you and let's let's do this. Uh, <laughs> and so that was, oh, that felt good. <laughs> that you know, felt really good. It's interesting because as a fat woman, I have had similar conversations with potential partners. Um, Back when I was dating, one of the first questions I would ask is, have you ever dated a fat girl? Mm -hmm. And I, I can't, I won't claim to speak for you and why you ask, have you ever dated a disabled person? But Mm -hmm. as a fat person, I ask that question because I want to know how familiar with my life are they? (laughs) That one, that one. Am I going to have to explain everything to you? Am I going to have to convince you that walking through the world in a fat body is different than walking through the world in a thin body? Do you, is that a similar reason for you and why you ask your partner, have you ever been with a disabled person? Mm-hmm. I feel that one 100%. I felt that all over my body, right? <laughs> yeah. You have to really just ask those questions because if you don't, then, you know, the, 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 the self-talk, the projections, the self-sabotage, they will eat you up. So in being honest with yourself and being honest with who you want to be with, I think those, those questions are really important to ask. So I'm glad that you've had space to, to ask your partners that in the past as well, because it it, it sets the foundation for where is this relationship going to go? It does. And also like to your point, their response can tell you so much Yes, because I have asked that question and had men look me in my eyeballs and say yes. And they are lying to me. (laughs) Right. And I have had the opposite happen where men say no, and they are lying and both things can tell you so much. (laughs) I agree. I agree. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, I have really enjoyed talking with you, but we do need to step away for a short break, but I want you at home to stay right there because when we come back, we are going to be talking about marriage and healthy relationships and what a better person to talk about them with. I don't want you to miss miss this conversation. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Willow Intimacy offers body positive sex and relationship coaching to improve your relationship with others and with yourself. Transform your sex life and schedule a virtual appointment anywhere in the U.S. Visit willowintimacy.com today to schedule a free consultation and start your journey towards more fulfilling relationships. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. No relationship is perfect. There's always room for improvement, but sometimes knowing where to start can be challenging. Willow Intimacy proudly serves women, men, and non-binary clients and comfortably coaches straight and gay partnerships. Take the first step and schedule a free virtual consultation at willowintimacy.com today. We're here to support your journey towards healthier relationships. 
Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Kissing in a Tree, hosted by Kelly Nichols. Have a question for Kelly or her guests? Email them at show at willowintimacy.com and you might just get your question answered on air. Once again, that's show at willowintimacy.com. Now back to your host. Hi, we're back. Thank you so much for staying tuned. We have been talking with Jasmine, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist based in Texas. She was talking to us before the break a little bit about what her life looks like living with a disability and how she navigates her um, relationships and her intimacy based on that. We're going to switch gears just a bit now. We've talked a bit about kind of how you approach your relationships and how that affects your intimacy, but your expertise extends far beyond that. You are a licensed therapist. Um, An increasingly common talking point about marriage Mm -hmm. is the high divorce rate of 50%. Is that statistic true? From the research, yes. Uh, Every single class that I've had uh, in my training has spoken to this 50% rate, right? It hasn't gone down or or deviated uh, in the time that I've been in graduate school. And that was about uh, six six years ago uh, at this point. Uh, so it is still very high, still uh, an option for, for a lot of uh, married couples. Um, so in my in my work, when uh, people call to you know consult about starting therapy, a lot of couples really are on the brink. So it's like, what you know? Can you help us? What what do we do? Because this is our last shot, right? Mm-hmm. Those conversations are very very real. Yeah. Um. So this is something that I actually haven't talked about on the show before. Mm-hmm. Um. But I I'm married currently, but I have been married previously. I've gone through a divorce, mm-hmm. so I have been in the situation where. My marriage is at its breaking point. The only thing I know to do is to like get us in therapy. Mm-hmm. And obviously that didn't work or I wouldn't be divorced. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about what are the factors that you see the societal changes maybe that you see that are playing into this high divorce rate? Yeah. You know, when I think about it, um, I'm a very uh, systems oriented person. I feel like there are always layers to, you know, what could cause something to transpire. So when I think about it from a relational perspective, I think about just the dynamic between the couple itself. Right. I think Mm -hmm. about how often are, are, are the two of them being critical towards one another? How often are they being contemptuous towards each other? More so just who's going for the jugular every single time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but because of those two things in particular, the criticism and the contempt, those two things are highly likely to be a probable cause of a lack of repair attempt. Uh, mm-hmm. The repair attempt in any relationship is super duper important, even if you're like boyfriend and girlfriend, right? Yes. Uh, if you are unable to go back to each other and reinitiate the conversation as to why y'all got there in the first place, it's... The more times it happens, it's good as gone. I made a noise, but what I mean to say is it's good as gone, right? Mm-hmm. So um, from the model of therapy that I use, uh, the equation goes, the more the, the more repair attempts you do have, right, in reverse, the, the greater likelihood that it is for you to be able to restore intimacy, restore connection, restore safety, and restore trust, right? Mm-hmm. So 
as much as you may want to look at your partner and with your arms crossed and not say anything, I'm telling you, go for it. Even when you are afraid and your voice shakes because you're not sure what they're going to say, go in for those repair attempts. Try to make it, try to come to some kind of common ground because that is that is the predicting factor of if the relationship is going to make it or not. So for our listener at home who might not know exactly what you mean when you say a repair attempt, Uh can you give us some examples of what those behaviors are, what that looks like and like in a relationship? Yeah, yeah. Uh, A really good repair attempt is literally, hey, is it a good time to talk? That's you initiating, uh, you know, do you have a minute? Can we talk about this? Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another good repair attempt is that didn't come out right. I'm I'm sorry. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, another good one is um, I know you're mad at me, but when it's a good time to talk, can can you meet me in the back and we can try to settle this? Right. Uh, that's, again, the reinitiation of trying to uh, correct oneself, one's behavior. Um, and if your partner is receptive to it, then the repair attempt happens. But say, for instance, the partner isn't, your partner isn't receptive to it. And they're like, no, I don't want to talk to you, right? Mm-hmm. Let them have that, right? That's the behavior. Don't keep pushing at them. Um, but always come back to it, right? Maybe if, if it's the next day, the repair attempt will be like, how are you feeling? Is it a good time to talk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know you were really upset with me yesterday, but how are you feeling today, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's, again, you making the attempt to re-engage them, see where their head is, see where their emotions are, uh, to to gauge, is it a good time? But your partner will always tell you if it's a good time. And if they tell you it's not a good time, respect that, right? I think respect is a big thing, too, that comes with, uh, I can't say it has anything to do with the high divorce rate, but I think it in the relational aspect of, of why there's a, a likelihood that the divorce rate is so high, Respect is one of those things that if if I'm treating my partner as if they don't mean anything or um, you could care less about them, that that sets the wheels in motion for the relationship not to feel safe, not to feel uh, uh, secure. And that's a big one. Another thing that comes to mind is just developmentally. You talked about societal changes and I think about life happening, right? Mm-hmm. The whole pandemic. That's yeah. all kinds of couples therapy for me, right? Of just yeah. spending so much time together that we realize that we're different, right? Um, and I don't have a job anymore. So this is stressful for us and we don't have the money anymore. And what does this yes. look like, right? Yeah. Um, I think about childbirth. I think about infertility, um, losing, a, 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 losing a child, losing a parent. All those things can shift the relationship dynamic in so many ways. Are those the common um, points of conflict that you're seeing on an individual level in your practice that mm-hmm. are bringing people to therapy? Things like losing the job, losing a job, or infertility. Do you see things like um, financial stress or um, uh, and having affairs and infidelity? Oh yes, I forgot about those. How could I forget <laughs> infidelity? That happens all the time, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> Those uh, infidelity and financial stress outside of just uh, um, uh, like family of origin, like upbringing issues, Mm -hmm. those are probably my big three in in my practice anyway. So again, to repeat myself, uh, infidelity, financial stress, and um, um, family of origin, upbringing issues where there's so much conflict going on, I see those most often. 
And when couples who are presenting with those issues walk into your clinic, what are some just basic ground level things that you walk through them with to help reestablish a sense of like respect and safety in the relationship? Yeah. uh, For me, I think the biggest one is um, holding space. Uh, And when I say holding space, there may be a time where this is the first time a partner is just being able is able to share their part about what has happened, right? At yeah. home, it's just talking over each other and just you're going to listen to me, and that other person is just constantly just told to be quiet, more or less. Yeah. And so, for me to set the ground rule of everybody is going to be heard and everybody is going to be seen, so I'm going to really need you to just hold on for a second and let that person talk um, is really, really important. But what I find that it does is that the person maybe dominating the conversation outside of therapy is able to finally hear like, oh, uh, I've missed that completely. Uh, so they're able to hear with new ears while I'm as, as the therapist is able to reflect what I heard them say, check back in with the other person to say, what did you hear them say, right? Mm-hmm. And they're able to come back to the conversation with a whole new set of eyes and ears for the first time, maybe a long time. I think that is so important. It sounds like a lot of, um, the, it, it seems like you're saying that the best road to recovery is just to look for points of connection, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Hear your partner out apologize, find time when you can connect to your partner alone and not talk about TV, but talk about your, your relationship and what, what's going on in it. Do you have, um, similar advice for people who maybe aren't married yet, but are looking to get married? What Mm -hmm. steps can they take to identify a partner with staying power, someone who is going to mesh well with you and who is going to kind of balance you out? Yes, yes. Uh, the biggest piece I would say to especially like premarital couples who are actually on the verge of getting married or even I see a lot of uh, just cohabitating couples. So just boyfriend and girlfriends, right, who just live together. Um, it's discernment, right? Uh, deciding if I choose this person, how can we uh, how can we find a foundation that is for us, right? And when I say us, I'm emphasizing that because it's not about what you read on Instagram. It's mm-hmm. not about what you saw somebody say on Facebook. It's not about what mom and daddy did. It's about what works for us. And can you decide together that this is what it looks like, right? But also, too, as an individual, I think a lot of... Um, a lot of my young adults, uh, specifically my female clients, uh, really aspire to be in connection to someone, right? So even mm-hmm. on an individual level, I think it's really important for people to understand uh, what I like to call relational awareness. Um, how do you know that uh, you like a person, right? Going basic, right? Like what kind yeah. of feelings do you get when you like somebody? Um, how do you know if somebody isn't a good fit for you? Do you know those things? And are you able to connect within yourself to say, mm, no, versus going along to get along to say that you have somebody, right? Yes. Um, I think that is really important. So when I talk about discernment, even in a long-term relationship, things change, things happen. You're not you're not the same person you were even a year ago, right? Mm-hmm. So being able to decide for yourself, um, d- despite what is happening, can I go back to just 
being curious about what's happening in our relationship now. And like you said, having those moments of connection to tell my partner what's working and what's not working, right? And and choosing to say something about it, right? Versus keeping it to myself, because that'll help you in all all relationships. I think decision-making is really important. Uh, Can we decide together that if this is going to work and if we want to stay together, um, um, maybe what do we need to do differently as individuals and what we need to work on uh, as as two separate people and in a relationship as we do our work as individuals, because that will always be important. How does that make our relationship mold in a sense of harmony and balance long term? Yeah, um, I hope that that's answers the question. That's a great answer. Yeah, I think so. Um, I also <clears throat> wanted to ask you for people who are experiencing conflict or who aren't happy in their marriages. What are some um, steps that you can recommend to someone who is unhappy but desperately wants to stay married? Mm-hmm. What are some things that they can do if they have a partner who is unwilling to go to therapy or unwilling to hold space for them? What are some steps that they can take to help keep themselves safe while they are still in this relationship? Of course, um, I'm biased as a therapist, Kelly. I will always be an advocate for individual therapy, right? Uh, individual therapy is a beautiful space for somebody to uh, understand their part in the relationship, right? Uh, we all have our stuff, right? Mm-hmm. We we all have our stuff uh, and nobody is perfect. So I think individual therapy offers a, a very sacred space for you to get to know yourself outside of what you may think you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe what you've heard other people say about you to really connect the dots of the question I ask my individual clients all the time. What part do you play in this relationship and how have you shown up? Right. That's um, a great question. Um, and a lot of people will look at me like a deer in headlights. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Well, let's find out then. Right. Uh, and, and in doing that and unpacking uh, and unpacking a person's story and their experiences, you find just so many nuances. Right. Trauma, attachment, attachment hurts or just uh, being hurt in the, in the past. Right. That you're still carrying on to that you may need to let go of. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so that's one way. Right. Um, another way is I am really big on like bibliotherapy. So that means uh, YouTube, uh, books. Like right now on my desk, I, I have like a lot of books, right, that I recommend to, to my clients and patients. So, um, uh, of course, from reputable sources, right? Uh, yes. uh, I always want to recommend that. So uh, anything that you can get your hands on, even in the way of like retreats. I know they're, they're really big in, in certain uh, fields where women get together and just spend, what, five days in the woods. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Connect back to yourself some kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, if a person, uh, if a partner is unwilling to go to therapy, I feel like... Uh, um, there are always resources and ways, and especially to your tribe, your your people that you care about, who want the best for you. Um, I think they, I think, and I want to believe too that people care about your well being, and if you just let people in, uh, that's always a free source, right? That you can connect yes. with. You're absolutely right. Um, I the point you made about like getting yourself an individual therapy, I think cannot be stressed enough. If you are in a difficult relationship, especially if you are not willing or able to leave that relationship, because there are, it it is easy for me as someone who is divorced and now remarried Mm -hmm. to say, get a divorce. 
But my situation was unique. I didn't have kids, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are so many people who have children that are not able to get a divorce. There are people who, um, because of financial reasons, cannot leave their partner. There are people who are in abusive marriages that feel like they don't have an escape. And so I think telling those people, well, just go to marriage therapy isn't good advice, right? That is not helpful for them. That isn't actionable. So you talking about how important individual therapy is in a relationship, I think is really important, especially because it helps give people the the time and the skills that they need Mm -hmm. to be able to process the hardships in their relationship. Exactly. Thank you so much for stressing that. Um, Another thing that I kind of wanted to circle back to, I feel like, again, the overarching messaging here is that in your relationship, you need to be looking for moments of connection. Mm -hmm. And I think that our lives are so busy. We live fast and furious, right? And so um, it is easy to just be married and okay, check, that's done can move on to the next step, right? (laughs) And that's not how marriages work. (laughs) Definitely not. So it is important that we all make an effort to reconnect to our spouses daily. Mm -hmm. And some, a great way that my partner and I do that is we have nightly check-ins that are very Mm -hmm. brief. It's not sit here and have a 45 minute conversation about our relationship, but it is Uh what was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of our day? And I think that knowing those two pieces of advice really helps us get in our partner's head and be able to see what our partner is living through throughout their day. And that helps us have a moment of connection. And it doesn't, it it takes us less than five minutes for both of us to go through it every night. I love it. I love it. It is a great tool for connection. It really helps me Mm. feel connected to my partner. I think it helps my partner feel connected to me. So, um, That's a tip that I think is important, especially with how much you have talked about connection during this It's so important. (laughs) So so important. You can never get enough uh, because it it builds intimacy over time. You're absolutely right. I really appreciate your insight. I know that um, this has been very valuable information. So thank you so much. We are going to step into another short break, but when we come back, um, we are going to talk more with Jasmine. We are going to be even answering questions that um, you have written in. So stay tuned. We will come back to answer your questions. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. No relationship is perfect. There is always room for improvement, but sometimes knowing where to start can be challenging. Willow Intimacy proudly serves women, men, and non-binary clients and comfortably coaches straight and gay partnerships. Take the first step and schedule a free virtual consultation at willowintimacy.com today. We're here to support your journey towards healthier relationships. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. 
Willow Intimacy offers body-positive sex and relationship coaching to improve your relationship with others and with yourself. Transform your sex life and schedule a virtual appointment anywhere in the U.S. Visit willowintimacy.com today to schedule a free consultation and start your journey towards more fulfilling relationships. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Kissing in a Tree, hosted by Kelly Nichols. Have a question for Kelly or her guests? Email them at show at willowintimacy.com and you might just get your question answered on air. Once again, that's show at willowintimacy.com. Now back to your host. We are back. Thank you so much for staying tuned. I am Kelly Nichols, and I am joined today by Jasmine Moore. She has been talking with us about um, sex and disability and intimacy. And then since she is also a licensed marriage and family therapist, she also shared some really valuable insight about what makes a healthy marriage and how you can turn to your partner for connection rather than pushing them away. I am so excited to continue to get her opinion today, especially because we are about to start answering your questions. But first, I do want to highlight our clinic of the week. As always, this is not a sponsored or paid for post or section of this um, show. This is just information that I feel like it is valuable for you to know. This week's clinic is It Takes a Village, which is located in Aurora, Colorado. They provide HIV testing Monday through Thursday from 9.30 to 4.30 with results in less than 10 minutes. STI testing includes testing for chlamydia and gonorrhea with results in two days and free treatment. All of their services are completely free. For more information or to donate to this valuable organization, please visit ittakesavillagecolorado.org. Again, that's ittakesavillagecolorado.org. Well, thank you so much, Jasmine, for staying with me. I do want to ask a couple of questions that um, have been written in. Are you ready? Yes, ma'am. Always. All right. Here is the first one. About a year into our relationship, my boyfriend and I moved in together. Prior to the move, we were both living with roommates, so sex was spontaneous. We would have to sneak in a quickie often because we knew we wouldn't have any time alone later. We couldn't keep our hands off each other, and it was great. Now that we live together, our sex has drastically changed. We went from having sex four times a week to like once at most. I've tried to initiate more, but I'm often rejected. I was prepared for our relationship to change once we moved in, but I didn't see this change coming. Now I'm feeling like he doesn't find me attractive. He is still physically affectionate, but I need more sex. Is there anything I can do to spice things up? And how do couples who are together for decades keep their partner interested? Yeah. Ooh, this is a good question. Um, the first thing I thought about in regards to this question is um, the idea that sex is linear, that it just goes in a straight line. Uh, yes. and it definitely does not. Right. Um, uh, I think about sex in like a, in a very circular, again, systemic type of way. There yes. is more ways, more than one way, sorry, to skin a cat. 
right? So when the concern is that in the past she's been rejected, you know, I'm wondering how can she reframe this rejection as an opportunity to maybe do something different to, like she said, spice things up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that I'm curious about for her is how can she um use herself first and foremost i think the relationship to self always is important so how can she use herself to connect with what is she needing from her partner right before she jumps in and asks him how she how, how can she connect to the idea of um and what she needs is that pleasure is that is that romance is that intimacy is what is that for her mm-hmm. right um so that when she can step to him and ask like you know um uh, what's coming up she can be very specific about what that looks like right um versus having the conversation by jumping the gun and he's like, well, what, what do you need? What do you want? And she doesn't know. Right. Mm-hmm. But how can she take some time for herself to connect with what is she looking for? How does she aspire to have it? And in having that conversation with herself in her clarity with her partner, after she's done this connection to uh, back to herself, uh, how can that support him being curious with her and them being curious together? Um, because the other thing that comes up, too, in the spontaneity of sex that they used to have together as a couple, once they to figure out what does this look like for us, how can they look at sex as like, a, and this is really weird, but like a, like a buffet, right? How can they take it as an approach that every opportunity is, you know, maybe something that's plentiful and fruitful for them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how can they take sex as something they do once a month, but then try to uh, incorporate different things? Um, maybe one thing once a week, right? Or maybe two things in the, within that week. How can they uh, have fun too? Uh, I think couples forget to play. So, yes. uh, <laughs> so in that playfulness, how can we just sort of kind of let the let the pressure go of the frequency, right? Uh, of how often we have sex where every opportunity can be a, a way to have fun with each other, even if it's not actually penetrative sex right how can we just have maybe uh touching and kissing as a way that's still fun and um um and it it doesn't have to look like a one-size-fit-all approach yes i completely agree with everything you said especially um kind of redefining what you look at as sex because um you might be thinking oh i'm only having sex once a week but maybe y'all are doing oral or, you know, manual stimulation or whatever. Um, so redefining what you look at as sex can be really helpful, especially if your partner is rejecting you. Because I think a lot of times society tells us that men, um, especially always have to be in the mood. Whenever we approach them, they have to be ready to go. And that is not the case. It's not the case for women. It's not the case for men. Right. Um, bodies are different. And, and I think the societal expectation that we have that men are always ready for sex is harmful. So I would first encourage you to kind of reevaluate that. Also, um, talk to him. Like Mm -hmm. she said that, you know, he is rejecting her, but why have those conversations saying, I want to have sex and him saying no is not a full conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, ask him, why is he rejecting you? Is it, he's stressed because of the move? Is it things are now more expensive? And so he's working more hours and he's tired. Is it, he's with you all of the time and he's really introverted. And so maybe he just needs more alone time. Um, this person didn't say how old they are, but maybe 
this is a couple that are in their sixties and his body is changing or in his thirties and his body is changing. That right? Is. That's solid. So we don't know why. And so I think, especially as women, when we don't know why we are being rejected sexually, our brain immediately fills wow. in the blank of I am ugly, period. The yes. end, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I think if you have a conversation and you talk to him about it, that's going to help alleviate some of those anxieties. Mm-hmm. Um, now it also sounds like it could be that he's just really into spontaneous sex. Maybe that's like a thing for him. Dream, he yeah. likes like, Oh, could somebody walk in? And if that's the case, I encourage you to have a conversation because number one, that's not really sustainable, right? Mm-hmm. Like every sexual encounter you have cannot be under those circumstances. Um, but two, if he is needing more of that, there are so many ways to provide that, right? Like, um, you can surprise him with lingerie. You can book a hotel room and tell him to meet you there. You yeah. can have him come home from work and you're just naked in the kitchen cooking dinner. Like there are so yeah. many things that you can do to surprise your partner. Um, and so if he is needing that kind of adrenaline excitement more, there are ways to fill that. Always. Yes. Um, the only caveat to that is don't make someone uncomfortable. If he is telling you that he is not in a sexual space, don't put the pressure on him to have sex. Right. Um, always I'm a huge, um, advocate for having the conversation before you do the action. So make sure that he is comfortable with that. Yeah, I agree. Consent 100%, right. And and the, and the willingness to, you know, want to do these things, right. Yes. And there Mm-hmm. And there are ways that you can also like, um, kind of open that door without making him feel uncomfortable, right? If mm-hmm. he is wanting something that is more spontaneous, wait till you're out to dinner, go to his family's house when you're in the middle of his family's dinner, go to the bathroom and send him a <laughs> selfie of your boobies, right? Like, right. I like that one. <laughs> there are things you can do while you're out to dinner with your friends. You can text them about, you know, Hey, I'm really in the mood. If you're nice to me later. I'll do this thing that you really like. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, just don't make anybody uncomfortable. Don't say the things out loud, text it to your partner. (laughs) Um, well, I really appreciate your insight on that. I think we are ready to go on to the next question. Okay. This one says I am 26 and in my first real sexual relationship, and I am not loving it. Every sexual encounter I've ever had has been uncomfortable and awkward. I'm just wondering if it's that my body just isn't that into sex. It is usually really painful, but even when it isn't, I still don't enjoy it. I love my boyfriend. He is wonderful, but truthfully, I'm not super attracted to him, but I'm not super attracted to anyone. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm asexual. I just don't know. The problem is I'm now avoiding time with my partner because I'm worried it will become a sexual encounter that I am not interested in. How can I have this conversation with my boyfriend? Oh, that's, that's deep, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many layers to that at the same time, right? Her, 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 um, um, sexual expression in her attractiveness, her, um, her curiosity about asexuality, um, just 
her wanting to be sounds like mindful of her boyfriend's feelings and just trying to have a, a meaningful conversation. Um, so the for, so to answer her question, how can I have this conversation with him? You know, one of the first things I think about is um, uh, in therapy, it's a skill that everybody has to learn eventually, uh, and it's it's called differentiation of self, right? Uh, and that's literally what telling, being able to know what you think, know what you feel, and know what you need, but being able to express that to someone else, right? So I will be curious to know for her, in her her ambivalence right now, how to have have that conversation. What are how how will she fill in those blanks, right? Like, what is she thinking, right? What is important for him to know? Uh, but how does she feel about those things that she thinks about, right? And because she feels these things and she's having these thoughts, what is she needing from that, right? What is she needing from him? Is she needing a break? Is she needing to figure out herself and and just you know um, um, him letting her do her thing, right? I, I'm not sure, but I'm wondering if she were to be able to know those questions, I mean, know those answers for herself. Sorry. Uh, how confident would she feel in going forth with uh, the conversation with her boyfriend, right? Because mm -hmm. when you up the ante to the idea of it's because I'm not attracted to you, you know, one of the things I'm curious about is, again, going back to her relationship to self, you know, when she uh, uh, has, you know, uh, concerns about attractiveness, not even only to her boyfriend, but to other people, how is she connecting to herself to experience pleasure? Or uh, has she even thought about those things? Is it just with others? But can, or is she able to do those things for herself? And if she is, maybe it's a conversation about him and her doing things differently, right? And her getting in touch with her body, attuning to those things to say, hey, I recognize that maybe I haven't been clear about what I need to experience pleasure or to experience just feeling really connected to you. And, and can I can I show you what I like? Right. Yeah. Can I show you what this looks like. Uh, so, much, so much comes up. Yeah, that's a great point. I think a great answer to that question. Um, you've been so insightful. Thank you so much. We are coming up to the very end, but I know that our listener at home is going to want to know how to follow you. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing and where they can follow you. Yeah, uh, right now I am solely on Instagram. Um, my Instagram is uh, two underscores. Uh, the more you know, all together. Time out my middle, my last name into that. So underscore underscore. The more you know on Instagram, uh, and I do have a my therapy website, which is uh, www.thisisforyoucounseling.com. Got it. And I know that when we spoke before, you also talked about a couples intensive that mm -hmm. is coming up that you are preparing for. Can you tell us when that will be ready and kind of what um, that will entail? Yes, uh, the couples intensive just really quickly is for anybody who was interested in doing uh, therapy, but in a shortened type of context. So four hours uh, for two days a piece versus long-term therapy where it could take up to six months to a year. So people who are really motivated and interested can jump into that. And I'm looking into doing that within the, the, the end of the year, early next year to get, gather interest into the couple's intensives. So if you're interested, let me know. Well, I appreciate that. I know that I'm going to be looking out for that. And I'm sure that um, the listeners at home will too. 
Thank you so much for being with us today, Jasmine. I really want to thank you for your time and thank you for listening at home until next week, deepen your roots, branch out with love and keep growing. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Kissing in a Tree. We hope you learned something new and that you use it to enrich the relationships in your life. Until next time, we hope you feel loved.